Welcome to another episode of Marvel's Voices. I am your host, Anjali Crochet. Today, I'm thrilled because we have not just one, but two interviews with Marvel creators spotlighting these unique storytellers from not just around the Marvel Universe, but the globe. That's right. We are literally, well, digitally crossing the ocean to hear from Marvel artists Javier Guerron and Natasha Bustos from their homes in Spain. What I love about this episode and what you're here in a little bit is that we get an inside look on what it's like to become a Marvel artist while living and working in another country. We talk to both artists about their work, their journey, their passions for comics, and of course, Marvel, and what it's like being featured in episode three of Marvel 616, Amazing Artisans. As a reminder, if you haven't checked it out yet, all episodes of Marvel 616 are currently streaming exclusively on Disney+. First up, I chat with Miles Morales artist Javier Guerron, who, by the way, I could have talked to for hours about our mutual love for everything Marvel Comics. While I've been a huge fan of Javier's work for a while, I first met Javier at New York Comic Con in 2019. And fun fact, I had the pleasure of being there when he first physically met Miles Morales writer Saladin Ahmed, a past guest on Marvel's Voices. If you haven't read their run on Miles Morales or aren't familiar, definitely get on that. And I I don't say this lightly, it is not only an amazing series full of incredible story arcs, but the art is simply amazing. For those who may be familiar with teenage superhero Miles Morales, aka Spider-Man, whether from the movies, cartoons, or past comic runs, it's got everything you know and love about Spidey. Bullies, ruined dates, clones, mysterious kidnappings, some appearances by members of the Sinister Six and the Champions, and of course, not-so-pleasant assistant principals. (laughs) But enough from me. Hello, Javier, and welcome. I remember us meeting for the first time uh, at Comic-Con. At Comic-Con, yeah. And I I was utterly shocked because it was also the first time that you had met Saladin. Yep. Like, it, y'all had not physically met because, and, and I think folks forget this, like, comic books are a team sport. Yep. You just assume that the artist has met the writer and the writer's met the artist, but y'all are a full ocean Away. away, yes, completely worlds <laughs> apart. And uh, I went when I when I grew up reading comics. I thought that I thought that uh, people making comics were a bunch of friends that gathered. I don't know in a room and planned things. And in some way, it works like that. We exchange ideas and we work out concepts and we try to make the best possible comics to put out there in the world. But we are not in the same space. And most of the time, we don't even meet. Um, most, especially for, for, for me that I live like an ocean apart. I live in another continent. And I love that. So tell me a little bit more about that because you grew up in Spain. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for you, like, what was it like growing up? Because not only did you grow up in Spain, you grew up in a small town in Spain. Yeah, Indeed. I grew, I, I grew up, I was born and grew up in a very small town, a fisher's town in the very south of Spain, uh, really close to the north coast of Africa. And uh, the town is called El Puerto de Santa Maria. And well, um, 
And for for me, for me, it wasn't small at the time. Now, I, now that I live in Barcelona, it seems like quite small. But uh, but it's it's a really nice place. You you can eat beautifully there, and be, the the beaches are really great in summer. It's it's a really cool place. But I'm I'm old. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm thirty. I'm not so old. But when I grew up, I there was an internet. I mean, I had for for most of my childhood, I only had like two TV channels. I didn't have ways to know what was going on in the world. And uh, for comics, I only knew what what arrived in my town. And most of the time, it was like very few things. And <laughs> I read a lot of things that I didn't quite knew how they began. And I, Sometimes I didn't quite knew how they ended. <laughs> well, and I think that's interesting, right? Like this idea of being international and grabbing on to what you can of this piecemeal type comic books. Like, but you yeah. also are like across the board a huge comic book fan. Like for you, yeah. what was it that made you gravitate towards comics? And then, you know, what 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 was it that made you gravitate towards superhero comics, um, because you are extremely passionate as a fan, not just as an artist. Well, um, this is going to come across maybe a little bit sad, but it isn't in fact. I mean, I didn't have many friends growing up and I liked reading because when you read those stories, you were not only you weren't alone, you were with awesome company, but you also traveled far and away across oceans of time to another universes. And I could I could know I could learn about people so different from me because in a little town in the south of Spain, I didn't have the chance to meet many people and we didn't travel much. My, my my family didn't travel much. So our holidays, we spent our holidays um, in my town or maybe we visited my, my grandparents when they were alive. And I like traveling to another world and, and getting lost in that narrative. I, I read not only comics, but a lot of books. And uh, I, I loved going to the library and, and, and you know, discovering what was there. And when libraries in my town started bringing comics, that was like like a huge moment for me. Like I was going through the through the teen books section and then finding what is this? This is a Captain America comic. What? How? When? This is this is like a huge moment for me. I started reading DuckTales and Mickey Mouse's and Goofy and Company and all that DuckTales, DuckTales, most of all DuckTales. And I, I hear that you have a skill uh, of being able <laughs> to draw uh, one of those characters by heart yep. with your eyes closed. <laughs> While I was reading those comics, I loved drawing those characters. And it reached a point where... Um, I don't know, just drawing the whole head of the character became something so quickly and so natural. And I said, I don't know, I can draw them by heart with closed eyes. And <laughs> and Clay, the director of the episode, challenged me to do so. And I thought, well, 
Maybe I spoke too fast there. Maybe <laughs> not with my closed eyes. Maybe very quick, but not with my eyes, my eyes closed. But I tried. In the episode, I tried. People are just going to have to watch the episode to see how well you did uh, with your eyes oh closed, my God, sir. I'm embarrassed. But, well, this brings up another question for me is like, were comics popular in Spain at the time? Not that I remember. In fact, um, I've always had this, this, this notion that, for example, in France, there are an essential part of the culture. And in, in, it's like very normal. You are in a bus stop and you see people reading magazines, books and comic books. Uh, de Cine, I think they are called there. And But here in Spain, uh, I always thought of comics as something for children. In fact, when I, when I became older, when I was a teenager, I had this situation with my mother when she thought, well, we need to clean up your room and all these comics need to go away. And that was a big dramatic moment for me because I was trying to explain to her that they were not a child sing that I really loved those comics, that I still read them. And that took a little bit of convincing for her to just leave them there. So because, because uh, for me, it was always something just was meant only for, for children. Mm. I, hopefully has changed. Well, and it's really interesting because I have bought, like, so I, I, I visit friends often before everything shut down and I have yeah. yet you can literally get comic books like almost there are not a lot of comic book shops but there are comic books uh-huh. everywhere if that makes sense yes yeah. Um, yeah perfectly yeah and so perfectly okay so that being said you know drawing seems so core and like attached to like your soul like who you are as an individual what was it for you that made you go, okay, I don't just like reading these comics. I don't just love these comics. They don't just transport me to another world. I I want to draw these comics. For me, there has been a few things in my life that I, I simply had no choice. Simply, they, they simply just happened. I mean, I just started drawing. When I left... Um, the town where I was born. I went to study in Seville, which is hour and a half away from, from that town. I studied architecture for eight years. And it reached a point where I said, ah, I can't do this anymore. I need to tr- I need I need to make comics. And I don't I don't have a choice there. It's like there's there's no choice. It's I'm I'm compelled to do it. I, it's, I don't know, it's some kind of magic. Maybe I just started drawing because it was fun and I wanted to do fun things. I think that's really cool. I mean, I also think like sometimes you just are, you just, you just do. And I think that's interesting because then it makes me go, why did you decide to study architecture? Well, I grew up in a house where People were very practical and doing comics didn't seem like a very practical thing to do. I didn't how to express this. In my head, in my head, it wasn't like, no, I, did, I wanted to do comics, but um, I knew that 
me saying that in my house would make a very complicated situation because maybe my parents wouldn't back me up on that plan. And I knew that if I started something else, they would back me up. And I thought, you know, I will, like a superhero, I will get a day job and at nighttime, I will put my mask, I will put my cape, I will take all my pencils and pens and brushes, and I will draw. (laughs) I love that. Now, the question is, you left architecture. Yep. You left Seville. Yep. What happens next, and how do you get your first comics job? Wow. That, well, um, by by, by that point, when I left Seville and I decided to come to Barcelona, I or I was already like I think was three years in trying to to become a pro. Uh, I think it was three, yes three maybe four years already doing sample pages and saving money to to travel to comic book conventions here in Spain that I knew had as guests comic book editors and uh, that I spent almost 10 years doing sample pages. And during 10 years, it's not always fun. <laughs> and it's not always, I, I wasn't always optimistic. So by that point, I said to myself, I've been a few years trying to do this and I'm not getting anywhere near close to achieving becoming a pro in comics. So maybe I will take a year off and I will study something else. And I started uh, graphic design. I I decided to move to Barcelona to study one year of graphic design. And that's what I did. And when I came here, I met, well, I met my boyfriend and now I stayed here. So that's that's why I'm still in Barcelona. Love kept me here. And so when I finished studying graphic design, I said, well, I have two choices here. I can try and make a living out of graphic design or I can try and go back to comics. And I did that. I went back to comics and I started doing sample pages again. So by the time that I was eight years in doing sample pages and having interviews with editors and whatnot, I was, well, I was running out of ammo. I was getting tired. And, um, and and, um, an agent contacted me, a comic books agent contacted me, and he said that he could get me a job. And I said, well, let's try that. And I was one year represented by, by by that man, and that wasn't successful either. So we parted ways, and I... I tried with a second agent that didn't work either. And by that time, I was just, I got seriously depressed and I became very ill and I was losing all hope. By that point, I thought that destiny was telling me, Javier, you are not made for this. You you have to find your path elsewhere because this is not for you. So... I left that second agent, I got better, and I said, well, I'm going to quit my day job, I have some money saved, and let's try this full-time. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, did it work out? That didn't work out. So, I spent 
that year and the next year living out the saved money that I had. And by January 2014, I had money for maybe half a year. And I said, this is it. One last chance. I'm going to try one more time. This is, this is just the, the, final, the final attempt. And if by June nothing comes up, I'm done with comics. I mean, this is, this is an honorable, honorable defeat. But then didn't you just start cold emailing editors? I started sending emails. I gathered as many emails from editors as I could. And I had some, and some of them I didn't have, but I guessed. <laughs> so I took the comics and I said, so this is the editor and she works at Marvel. So maybe her email address is this one. And I tried. And if the email came back, then that email address didn't exist. So don't worry. So maybe her email address is this one. Um, and <laughs> so I gathered almost 80 emails. And every week I did new sample pages, a new batch of pages, maybe three, maybe four, depending on the week. And I sent them every week and nobody, almost nobody answered. And I kept mailing. And by the end of March, it happened. Yay! That is amazing! Uh, uh, an editor uh, named uh, Katie Kubert offered me um, to do um, some pages. She needed 11 pages in nine days. Can you explain for folks what 11 pages in nine days, like normally people do a page a day? That's, that's the theory. Right now, for me, it's almost almost two days per page. With, with I'm doing Avengers right now and with so many characters and the action and, and whatnot. But the theory is that you have to do uh, uh, one page per day. So um, 11 pages in nine days is insane. It's not, not sleeping, living on the drawing table, basically. But it was, it was, uh, it was it. That was it. It was the, my, my, my chance. I, I couldn't say no. I said yes. And I spent the next nine days <laughs> completely glued to the drawing table. And I did it. I drew those 11 pages in nine days. And she was happy with the outcome. So she offered me more work. And suddenly those editors that didn't answer my mails started answering my mails. Wait, but then she actually went to Marvel not long after you started working for her, right? When I was half a year working with her, she went to Marvel. Uh, she sent an email saying goodbye, thanking every collaborator. And next day, I, I, I wrote back. I, but I wrote an email just thanking her because she, she changed my life when nobody else believed in me. Sometimes people just pop up in your life and change your life forever. And she, I didn't even know her in person, but she changed my life. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. So then what happened? H how did you end up at Marvel? Well, she, uh, she, she saw that mail next day and she answered and say, 
and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you want to come with me to Marvel? And I, I, that blew my mind because she said, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Would you come to Marvel and do Cyclops with me? And I said, yes, of course. And I've been in Marvel ever since. That is an amazing story. Okay, okay. So now let's talk about Miles Morales. Miles. Miles Morales. I love him so much. Who, by the way, like for everyone that's listening, if the the thing that you've heard, like, like that I've heard that it just solidifies everything we've been talking about, your attention to detail, your love of characters, your love of story is just, it is throughout all of Miles. Like even this idea where Miles' clothing, Miles' style, all his friends' style, their clothing, the way they come across so youthful. And for you, when you first got your hands on Miles, because it's, I mean, you're literally drawing Miles Morales and <laughs> Yankee and, and, and all of the rest of these amazing characters, what was your first impression of Miles? And, and what is it like drawing kind of his whole world. Miles in comics, his main core series, comic book series, had been written by the same person, which is Miles' co-creator, Brian Michael Bendis. And when I came onto the book, it was a relaunch and it had for the first time another writer, Saladin Ahmed, and he's an amazing writer. And Saladin had this amazing approach of the character because not only is a high concept level of storytelling, but also he has a social approach because superheroes don't live in a vacuum. They live in a society and the problems of that society are problems that also affect superheroes. And Saladin understood that completely he had a, a beautiful plan for the character. And one of the first things that he told me is, you have to understand that Miles has been portrayed so far, maybe as a, as a child and as a young teenager, but we are not going to say age, but he's a little bit older. And I said, well, I've always believed that the clothes that you're wearing tell something about you. They are not random clothes and the hairstyle you have tells something about you. And I had, I, I wanted to say that Miles has grown. And I said, I, I don't, I don't think a teenager is going to have the same haircut for 12 years. We need to make a change on that. Miles need a, needs a new haircut. Okay. So now I'm curious, how much of you did you put into Miles? When you are drawing, you put a lot of yourself into the character. And for example, in Miles lives, it has a, a bedroom in his parents' place. And he also has, um, he also shares a room with Ganki and Judge in the, in the, in the school. He has in, in the dorm. And those movie posters are movies that I love. The clothes that I like sometimes appear on characters too. And I thought, you know, let's make this, I don't know how it's the word in English, like... Attractive? Dandy? 
I, I actually, you know what? I like dandy. Dandy is actually one of my favorite words. And if I, yeah, I would say he is a modern, twenty uh, first century high schooler dandy. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. Yeah, they want to be cool and yeah, and hip. They want to impress, uh, to impress people around his colleagues. I wanted that to reflect, to be reflected in the clothes. You know, there is an extreme amount of hard work that goes through to tell these stories and to bring to life these storylines, even down to your reference material using yourself to create these realistic references, but also like bringing these small little pieces of New York in. And you've, it really seemed that you've been able to bring your study of architecture <laughs> in to translate a lot of this because, again, you are not in New York. You are in Spain. <laughs> yeah. And though, though I've, I've been, I've visited New York, but, um, uh, well, uh, Miles is from Brooklyn and I went to Brooklyn once and I stayed maybe a couple of hours. So I, I, I can say that I've seen Brooklyn or I know Brooklyn. So, and, and it's essential. I mean, I remember Saladin very specifically telling us that uh, the skyline should look like Brooklyn and not Manhattan. That is essential. And well, that took a lot of, a lot of, a lot of documenting and thank God for Google Maps <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make a publicity stunt here, but you know, thank God for internet. But l let me tell you something. Architecture really didn't help as much in creating the world as in the discipline that architecture taught me in working. Because I remember while in college, everybody was partying. Those of us who were studying architecture were all the time working. Uh, I remember not sleeping at night, just working and drawing and drawing and drawing. And when it came time to do comics, I already had that discipline. It's, it's, it's a passion job. I mean, you, it's something that really needs your soul. People who do comics do comics because they love comics. And I wouldn't do anything else in the world, but takes a lot of sacrifice. Well, and I think that's really interesting because ooh, comics are hard. Comics are, you yeah. know, they take a lot of dedication. And I think it's interesting because yeah. there seems to be, even with our conversation about comics in Spain not being as huge, there seems to be a number of comic book artists from Spain. Um, why do you think that is? <laughs> well, it's true, even though it wasn't always considered as a proper job, as a grown-up job. There's always been a tradition of very good comic book artists here. And I think the main reason why there are so many Spanish comic book artists out there is because there is no industry here. We are all in exile. We can, I mean, you can make a living uh, drawing comics here. And, and many of us, it's because also we 
love superheroes. And superheroes are American. I mean, there are there are Spanish superheroes, but they don't I, I'm sorry to say this, but they don't they don't come even close to American superheroes. It's a genre that it's so uniquely American, but it's so universal at the same time. It was born there and thus it's it's so American at its core. I love it. Thank you so much for making this time because there is a significant time difference uh, right now. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's nighttime, but we here in Spain are completely nuts. We are all crazy and we have dinner really late. So it's it's cool. It's It's been a pleasure. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thousands of miles apart, Javier's excitement is literally contagious. All right, so next up, I had the opportunity to chat with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur artist and Marvel Stormbreaker, Natasha Bustos. As an artist, Natasha co-created one of my favorite characters, Moon Girl, who, if you didn't know, is the smartest character in the Marvel Universe, even at the ripe old age of nine, Of course, Natasha has done much more than just Moon Girl. She started her career in comics with the humongous task of drawing the award-winning comic Chernobyl and has also worked on series like Spider-Woman for Marvel. But whatever the story, Natasha's talent just jumps off the page. Oh, quick note, Natasha, who is fluent in English, conducted this interview in Spanish, so we'll be hearing from her translator, Emily, during this interview. Well, welcome to Marvel's Voices. Welcome. Hi, thank you. (laughs) So I will jump right in. Um, It is very clear uh, from your background and your work and and your bio, and and we'll find out soon because your answers will be translated, that you are international, (laughs) that you live outside the U.S. Um, Tell me a little bit about where you grew up. I was born in the southern part of Spain, in a city called Málaga. And this is where I spent most of my childhood and teenage years, and then I went to Granada to study. So that's where I studied fine arts, and after that I I went to Barcelona, and that's where I've spent the rest of of the years afterwards. You know, until recently that because of COVID, I had to come back uh, to my original home. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So that's definitely different. Um, And you, you talked a little bit about your childhood and your study at university, but kind of like, what was your childhood like there? And, you know, how did you get into comics? Well, my childhood was very uh, unique because I'm the daughter of uh, foreigners. My parents are from Latin America. My father is Brazilian and my mother Chilean. And I came to Spain, you know, in the 80s and there wasn't really people that weren't from Spain at back then. Even more so if you're a person of color, really, I, I was the only one. So I've always felt pretty unique in school and pretty special whenever I am, wherever I am. Wow. And that, you know, obviously influenced and affected my relationship with what I wanted to do and with what I've done. Because I was very shy when I was uh, younger. 
I also uh, was bullied when I was a child, so I didn't really have a lot of friends, and I spent a lot of time just drawing. And so that was the universe I created, and that's where I developed my creative side. So in addition to doing art, you read as a kid. You know, how did you first get into Marvel um, as as a franchise? Well, because of the the comics, really. Oh, the ones that the ones that you see on TV, really. That's the ones I. That was when I was first drawn into them. You know, I was like, oh, what is this? You know, Spider Man. What, what's this? And then you know, when I went to the bookstore, I saw that there were comics, and yeah, so that drew me drew my attention as well. But here in Spain and Europe, it's uh, the comic um, is more prevalent. The European comic, I mean. And so that comic just, you know, the, the, the European comic held more sort of sway over me than the American one at that point. And my mother, she, she came from Brazil, and so she had, you know, comic books from Brazil. And, you know, there were a lot of influences, uh, specifically, you know, also manga when it arrived. My head just, you know, my head exploded. That's when I was like, I want to do comics just from watching and seeing manga. So for those who may not know the difference, like, talk to me a little bit about the difference between an American comic versus a European comic. Like, how do how do they differ? So they're very different, uh, but mostly because the projects are longer in Europe. They'll take, you know, a year to make a comic in Europe. So maybe it's going to be 60 pages, you know, and they're, they're going to be colored in, very elaborate. There's script writers, but there's also, you know, sometimes the author will work on a project uh, by himself. But, you know, each page will have like a lot of uh, panels, a lot of slides. And just the narrative, the way it's, it's told is very different as well. And that's really interesting because your first comic was actually pretty Massive, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Are you talking about Chernobyl or which is the, you know, which is the one you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy idea, honestly. <laughs> to be a first comic on top of it all. I don't really recommend it. It was a pretty hard experience for me. <laughs> It's a hard, like, it's a hard topic, but, you know, one of the things I think is very interesting about your career is that you also studied, uh, like, other aspects, like, film, and, like, you really have an across-the-board background. You know, what was your idea when you were studying fine arts? Like, what was that like, and how did drawing kind of just come to the, the top of that? So, you know, drawing was always there. It was always a part of me. Doing fine arts was just an excuse to, you know, enter, keep doing the same thing and, and be able to tell my parents that I was doing something productive. So, you know, in the end, I, I think, you know, I finally got it my way. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. But the comic was always there. I always liked it. And, you know, I... I I became or I, you know, I formed a community of, of, of artists from there, from the university. Um, curiously enough, my university uh, was sort of a, a, a space that nourished, 
that fostered yeah comics that are really uh, comic artists that are pretty quite famous nowadays. Como Carlos Pacheco. Like Carlos Pacheco. Carne, Car Carmen Carnero, eh, Gabriela Chewalta. All those people are from the same uh, from the same school that I went to, from different years. What do you think it is about comics that not only kind of drew you in, but like, you know, that's a, a pretty substantial track record of folks who came from the same university who do who do this work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, this, the university wasn't really focused on comic. That's what's interesting about this. There was just one uh, one class that you could take that dealt with comic books, and that was it. I think it's more so that uh, Spain has this heritage that there's, there are just a lot of comic artists. They're very well known. They work, you know, in the international community. It's similar in Italy. I don't know what's up with the southern countries in Europe. But the the native comic is is you know it's pretty different. I think we're just drawn to international comics. So how did you get involved with Marvel? Thanks to a friend Javier Rodriguez. He's also a, he also draws for Marvel. He was the one who told me that I you know that there was potential in, for me there. I didn't really see myself doing that. I was uh, I was exploring the French market at the time. I must confess that I started reading Marvel a bit later in in my years. My childhood maybe I read X Men, but that was about it. It was later on in university. That that's later in university that I you know started uh, getting more involved reading Marvel and from other from other uh, editorials as well. So after that friend of mine, you know, told me, uh, recommended that like I look to Marvel, I went to um, I went to a Comic Con in Barcelona, and so I interviewed with editors at Marvel, and and so they saw the potential in me, and so Javier made the the introductions, and I made some other pages for DC, and you know, seeing that Marvel realized that I was capable of doing the work. So, so, so I did a feeling for Javier, which was Spider-Woman, and that sort of jump-started everything. I love it. And so for you, like, what was that first experience doing Spider-Woman versus what you had already kind of done with Chernobyl and your other work to date? Spider-Woman was like... Um, it was my, my debut in Marvel, and I was really nervous. I see that work, and 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 I, you know, I acknowledge I was I was pretty uh, amateur at that point. <laughs> After you know working more with Marvel, I can say that I've learned so much since that time. And the pages that I draw nowadays are very different from the ones I was doing five years ago. So a lot of folks know your work, and this the first time that I saw your work was reading Moon Girl, um, who it, for so many like. Honestly, I remember getting my niece who looks just like Lunella Lafayette, <laughs> like all of the posters and all of the volumes. And you as an artist have worked extremely hard to really tell, particularly, I mean, all of your work, but really like Lunella, um, down to the reference material. Mm. Um, so one of the things that I, I think is very cool and I kind of want to talk about is you use yourself a lot of times mm. to get that realism with Lunella. Talk to me about that process and and how it started. 
So let's begin, you know, by saying that when I was younger, I was very similar to the character. So the general idea of what she looked like, I already had that in my head. You know, and also the way she moves. I, I tried to sort of imitate the it to look like how I moved. I've used my face a lot for reference, even though obviously I'm, I'm older, but I've used that, my face for reference. But part of what Lunera is, is part responsibility of the scriptwriters, really. I just project, you know, put part of myself in, in, in her. I love it. Um, so the other thing about Lunella is that uh, she's in Manhattan. You are not. Um, <laughs> but you did study architecture and you do, again, have this, this really wonderful attention to detail. Um, for you, how was the process translating Manhattan's Lower East Side into Lunella's home in the comic books? Pues Google Maps is magia. <laughs> Google Maps, that's magical. It's magical for artists. <laughs> No, it's amazing, you know, and it's interesting because I was working, I was looking, looking at the references in Google Maps and then I, I, you know, I went to New York and it's as if I already knew it, the city, it was very strange. You know, when you watch a movie several times and then you actually go to the stage and you're like, whoa, I guess, you know, that's something that happens with New York often since it's been in so many films. Do you feel like you were able to use your like other skills, these other fine art skills, the study of architecture to bring everything to life within the comic? I mean, those tools have definitely made things easier for me. Oh, more so to, you know, do the, the backgrounds and to have a sense of, of composition. I think I can, I can thank fine arts for that as well. Because they they delve into different you know different branches of knowledge, and even if it doesn't have to do with comics, you know thinking in an abstract way in painting that's also helpful. I loved it. So you previously talked about how much you saw yourself in Lunella and like you felt really connected to her. What was it specifically about the character that resonated with you? I think, you know, the important thing about, you know, doing a character was to create a character that was, uh, that was grounded in real life. You know, making a, a, making a black character that isn't, you know, like uh, surprising that there is, you know, a black character in a comic book. It's just a comic book of a girl that has superpowers. And that's what I wanted to transmit to normalize, that it wasn't something, you know, different, the particular, that it was just something normal. For people to realize that there's all sorts of people in the comics and in the in the TV and everywhere, just in general culture. I think that it's something that we're seeing quite a bit in TV and, you know, I, I, I think that's good. A lot has changed in the past 10 years, don't you think so? I agree 100%. And I think, you know, we both have a love of one particular character, which is Storm, because she yeah, used Storm. to be Ooh. basically <laughs> the only one. The only woman, yeah. Um, for you, when were you first introduced to Storm? And like, I, I know my story, but like, it's always so interesting to me when folks from other countries see Storm for the first time and have that same kind of 
oh, representation matters mm. moment. Yeah, that's super important. Look, it's interesting that I actually only drew white characters until I saw, you know, in, in the in the TV uh, in the TV cartoons that X-Men existed and that there was a person of color there and that you could actually represent that diversity. You have to realize that I grew up surrounded by white people. It's a very strange experience. I haven't really had a community. So it's it's really been a, a story a sort of, of discovery. It's been really beautiful for me. I was also very young, right? I should should be noted. I was like six or seven years when, when I'm talking to, when I refer to this moment. So nothing too profound, but also very impactful. Yes. <laughs> um, so... I, pardon my Spanish, uh, I need to practice more, even though I used to speak much more, but um, what is the Colectiva de Autora de Comics? Ah, Colectiva de Comics, sí, de Autoras. So it's an association of of women uh, authors that dedicate ourselves to comics and who created a collective to be able to get together and talk about our issues. You know, about being female and working in comics in an industry that's predominantly male. Even more so in all over the world, but even more so in Spain. It's quite impactful because there are a lot of male authors and not enough female authors. So we thought it was necessary to, you know, show that we're there. That they shouldn't, you know, invite us to salons just because it's, you know, fashionable to... Uh, invite women. That's something that just annoys me. That just because I'm a woman, they'll you know they'll invite me. Not because of, not because I'm an artist or you know I don't know. Even though I mean yes, granted things are changing. And I'm kind of curious, like if you could go back and talk to like 16, 17 year old Natasha and and tell her, like I I'm a comic book artist. I like w- what advice? What would you say? You know, what What would you, yeah, that's it. Like, what would you say? So to myself, I would tell myself, you know, keep going. And to those that are beginning, I would tell them, you know, to to also keep going. You know, to not to not uh, lose hope because they're working in, you know, in other in other things. I've done all sorts of works besides comic books. But that they shouldn't leave abandoned comics, even though, you know, at certain moments, maybe they don't want to draw anymore, that they should, they should keep reading them. They should keep going to salons. They should keep, you know, networking with people that uh, do comics. You know, create community with people like-minded. I think this is very important, you know, so that they can know people and be active in, in social media, for example. That's also important. And, but most of all, that they, you know, keep drawing comic books. So, you know, there is a large community of artists um, in Spain. Um, Do you ever get a chance to work with other artists in Spain who also work at Marvel? Do you, like, are you connected with them? Or do you have, like, a a group chat? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's, you can't, Spain is a country. It is big. But also, like... It seems like there would be a community of artists who work at Marvel who kind of have their own community. Yeah, that exists. 
And I can say that we all know each other, at least we have heard of each other. Some we have met in person, you know, in, 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 in salons and Comic-Cons. And when I, you know, living in Barcelona, I've, I've met many, many artists. Because that's where the Barcelona Comic-Con is celebrated and that's uh, international. So last question, what does a day look like for you normally when you're working on a book? So now it's very different from last year because I, I've had a baby. So yeah, it's all a bit of a mess right now. There's Things are uh, upside down. <laughs> Before I woke up, not that early, honestly. I would work 10 or 11 hours a day, even weekends. And now I, I can't really work that much. So it's uh, better because my health is actually better and I can spend more time with my son. And so, you know, things are more balanced out at present times, even though everything is a bit uh, complicated also because of the pandemic. And having to work with, a, you know, with my son at home is, is also a bit complicated. But we can do it. <laughs> I, I believe that 120%. <laughs> Yes. I can't wait for folks to see the documentary. Um, it's such a wonderful episode. You know, the fact that you work on such um, impactful characters, is it means a lot to a lot of people. For me, it hasn't been easy to sort of have that exposure, if I'm being honest. I'm I'm shy as I mentioned before and so it's it's you know it was a big step to do this but I decided to to do it because I I think that I need to sort of give voice you know to to sort of come out come out and say look I could, I do comics you can live from this and sort of just come be more open about it well thank you cuz folks need to hear that story yeah I hope that you like it. Thank you so much. No, thank to you. It has been a pleasure. Thanks again to Javier and Natasha for joining me today. You know, it's an absolute pleasure to not only talk to them about their work, their journey in comics and their lives in Spain, but all of the passion that they have for the characters they have the opportunity to bring to life. Also, these conversations just remind me how much I miss traveling. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Marvel's Voices. It's been a pleasure having you with us, and we'll see you next time. Marvel's Voices is produced by me, Angelique Roche, Percy of Berlin, M.R. Daniel, Alexis Williams, and Jorge Estrada. And special thanks to Julie Magruder. Our director of audio is Jill Duboff. Our development manager is Brad Barton. This episode was mixed by Cedric Wilson at Lantigua Williams & Co. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Wainaina. 